welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending January 5th, 2024. I'm Kim Hollis, who may never go back to a movie theater. Uh-oh. No, it's I good. Just, oh, how so? We got a projector. Instead of getting a second TV, we do have one room where two TVs are hanging up, but we tried getting a projector <laughs> that we now have running a Roku in our bedroom, and we've watched a movie on it. We've watched sports on it. It is miraculous. I love it. Nice. I'm just here to say it is, yeah, it's awesome. So we watched the Hunger Games prequel, and throughout it, we kept going, oh, this is so much better than a movie theater. Yes, because we're at home. We're not catching whatever illnesses people are bringing to the movie theater with them. And we have our cats. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, who is sure that 2024 is the year of the Mets. We signed Otani, right? <laughs> uh, how about that Yamamoto guy? No. No? Uh, no. Uh, okay, well, it, it's still going to be our year. Yay. It'll be a year. Yeah, a year. Yes. Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst who had forgotten that you can have an NCAA football championship without an SEC team. SEC? SEC? What happened? <laughs> and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who's ready to take a vacation from work. What happened? I worked four days, actually three days last week. I had to take a day off and I'm done for now. It's time for a rest. <laughs> All right. This week, it's the return of the speed round. Amazon has announced that ads will start appearing on Prime Video beginning January 29th. Unless you pay three bucks more a month for your already expensive Prime subscription. Yeah, that's actually the second half of this is Amazon has promised they're not going to raise the price of Prime this year. So the trade-off is rather than making everyone pay a few dollars more, they're going to make everyone who uses Amazon video either watch commercials, which they'll monetize, or they're going to get an extra $3 a month. And I did want to throw this out here because it's a pro tip I've got that we're using. If you don't choose Amazon two-day Prime delivery, if you do the you're in no rush shipping, often Amazon will throw in a dollar or two as your reward. So if you're not in a hurry to get something, go ahead and choose the no rush shipping and then you can stack those credits and pay for commercial-free Amazon Instant Video that way. Or you can just watch commercials. We're not interested in doing that because it's an election year and we don't want to see those ads. We saw one earlier and that was enough. Rumors are also swirling that Amazon is looking to invest in Diamond Sports, operator of the collapsing Bally Sports regional sports networks. Of course, this is all part of the larger collapse of the regional sports networks as cable subscribers, those that remain anyway, are no longer willing to pay the exorbitant fees that come with these must-carry sports networks, especially if they're not interested in watching sports. The cable carriers are pushing back against the carriage fees or dropping the RSNs entirely. There's a knock-on effect as a lot of the money going to the RSNs was then going to subsidize sports franchises, which are now going to start seeing a contraction in their salaries, especially the teams in smaller markets. Another story that emerged during the holidays is that Major League Baseball Seattle Mariners will be taking over complete control of Root Sports, the RSN, where they were a partner and their games were being carried. The upside is that 
that the carriage fees for the channel will now go entirely to the team. The downside is that the carriage fees going forward will likely be less and the team will have to look seriously at its payroll. Yeah, this isn't really streaming related, but we've already seen a couple of byproducts of this with the Seattle Mariners and San Diego Padres, both of whom have performed trades that had the baseball community scratching its head going, what? Why? What? But the reality was they were economics driven because there was expected money coming in from these RSNs that they're not necessarily sure to get anymore, or in some cases they won't get anymore. Now that's one side of it. Roll, there was also an interesting wrinkle with Diamond Sports versus Baseball's commissioner, wasn't there? There apparently was a little bit of a back and forth going on where Major League Baseball and the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, had said that Sinclair and its Diamond Sports subsidiary had threatened the livelihood of Major League Baseball. And of course, they didn't take very kindly to that. It was a hilarious example of somebody trying to be a hard ass during negotiation. In this court, the CEO of Sinclair, who we all know is a trash human being, is used to bullying his way into getting what he wants in life. Well, everybody realized Sinclair held no cards here, but Sinclair just pushed harder and harder. And apparently one of the things they said along the way was they had spent $2 billion on this. And so they were going to get their pound of flesh at the rate of $2 billion if needed. And so they were going to burn Major League Baseball on the way down if needed. And the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manford, who's, you know, probably one of the least favorite people on this podcast has somehow come across as the hero in this scenario. During the bankruptcy proceedings, he testified about this. And so now Sinclair has taken the unusual step where <laughs> it's the real thing that happened. They're threatening to sue Major League Baseball. They've filed a deposition wherein they claim that Manford has made this stuff up. The only problem is they're witnesses and on top of the witnesses there's people who Manford spoke with after the conversation who he was like can you believe these idiots? They said this to me as if they're bigger than Major League Baseball. So there's all kinds of people who are going to counter the claim but when you have nothing else all you do is bluff as hard as you can and that's what been what we've been tracking with these RSNs ever since that just absolute debacle of a purchase they made from Disney. Yeah it's it's, it's all a trash fire at this point. I remain adamant that putting local sports on cable channels where fans had to pay high rates to watch the games was bad for sports and bad for the teams. If nothing else, it diminished the fan base year over year as it provided a barrier of entry to prospective new fans. For smaller markets, the right move is to put local games on broadcast TV where anyone can watch for free and then expand out to subscription services so fans outside the area can watch for a fee. And that's what may be happening in New York as the big sports networks, Yes and MSG, may be looking to partner on a joint service that would cover basically every regional NBA, NHL, and MLB team, except for the Mets, Tim. Oh, well, they have their own and we have a billionaire a billionaire owner, so we're doing just fine, thanks. He specifically said Major League Baseball teams also. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Jeez, just pile on already. <laughs> Both MSG and Yes have their own streaming services, costing upwards of $25 to $30 per month each. But by consolidating, there's a chance of fans discovering teams they don't usually watch. And there's still the possibility that the games will be played on local TV in the New York City area, as the goal of this new endeavor is to expand access to the teams for fans outside of the immediate area. I think they have it figured out. I think this can work. The other thing about this is it can have strange 
strange halo effects. Like for many years now, the most popular NBA team in China has been the Houston Rockets because that's how passionate they were about Yao Ming back in the day. Yao Ming hasn't played in the NBA in a long time, but Chinese basketball fans still love the Rockets because of it. Similarly, Atlanta has had just like staggering success the Braves have in Asian countries and in countries in, you know, South America because they developed all of these Latin players and fans have watched from their home countries and they've grown up wanting to become Atlanta Braves players. This is the type of thing that is going to globalize brands in ways people don't even realize yet. The key is you need to view it right now as almost a loss leader. I'm not saying you have to take a loss on this because sometimes, like we mentioned, with Seattle and San Diego can't do that. But you need to look at it as you're expanding what you do and you are building your fan base for long-term effect rather than immediacy. And so this is a fascinating example of, we've been expecting this for a long time now. We kind of compared it once to the breakup of Ma Bell. We now no longer have the RSNs we have had for years now. Instead, there's going to be streaming in its place. 2024 is really the first year where we start to fill that vacuum. Lastly, sticking with sports, Warner Brothers Discovery has opted to extend the free trial to their Bleacher Report sports service on Max for a few more months as they finalize some tech integrations. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's certainly what they claim, but I'd wager that it's because they actually don't have any sporting content to put on the service. I mean, it's integrated now. You can access the service now. I've described this before, but it pales in comparison to ESPN+. And while granted, I am comparing it to the granddaddy of sports streaming services, the plain fact of the matter is that you can turn on ESPN+, right now, and find something to watch live right now. Heck, Fox Sports Live has live sports on as we speak. Yes, Bleacher Report does have TNT's and TBS's NBA and NHL contracts, but that barely accounts for more than a couple of games a week. The upside is that the NCAA Basketball Championship, March Madness, is coming up and you'll likely be able to watch it all on Bleacher Report as part of your Max subscription. A lot of things we've been saying on this podcast would happen are happening this week as we cover them. And it is hysterical. We said all along, this was a terrible idea. They had not planned for this. They had not prepared for this. There was not infrastructure in place to accomplish what they wanted to achieve. And now they're just admitting the fact that they lied for the purposes of keeping the stock afloat. And now they're going to lie again in another couple of months when nobody still wants this. It is not an idea that Max is in any way prepared to integrate on the necessary scale to make this a profitable venture. Everything about this is a mess. Okay, before we talk about ratings, Tim, why don't we discuss the holiday season at the box office? Sure. So as we suggested last time we talked about box office, the winner of the holiday season was, of course, Wonka. But that's not really saying all that much as it was a pretty flat holiday season. We did have a whole bunch of new releases in theaters, which is that's good. But did people go to the movies in in droves? No, well, not really. The holiday box office week between Christmas and, and New Year's was pretty good. It saved some of these movies from being total disasters to just, well, you know, kind of disasters. But it really 
just just disappoints and just shows you how box office, despite what people will insist, has not recovered to the point it was prior to the pandemic. The Aquaman sequel is just going to barely make it over to 100 million. It's at 92.5 million as of this weekend. So it's going to get there, but just barely over the 100 million mark. Yeah, along those lines, if not for the holidays, this actually would have been a bigger bomb than the Marvels, Mm -hmm. which is just staggering to think that we had two of those in consecutive months. During what's supposed to be good box office periods, too. Excellent point, yes. Yeah, so Aquaman has already surpassed the Marvels, but yeah, this is still not even close to what the first one earned just a few years ago, but was saved by that holiday week. We had Christmas new releases in The Color Purple musical, which actually led the Christmas Day box office, but then just fell off. It does have 51 million in two weeks, which is fine, but it just seemed like that was going to be one of the bigger movies. And George Clooney's The Boys in the Boat, 30 million, that's... That's okay, but we expect more from everything nowadays. We really still have to adjust our perception of what good box office is anymore because the hits are the exceptions and not the rule. Yeah, a couple of things I noticed about the holiday box office is that Warner Brothers almost had a bigger success with The Color Purple than with Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom, which is mind-blowing considering that, of course, the Aquaman movie is supposed to be their big holiday tentpole superhero movie. And the box office was so bad that I've heard people say that, hey... Anyone But You actually didn't do that badly. Yes, our romantic comedy, Anyone But You, starring Sydney Sweeney, is currently sitting at $37.4 million since its release just about a little over two weeks ago. And yeah, if we're calling that, hey, not that bad, then that's how you know things are bad. <laughs> Yeah, and going back to The Color Purple, I mean, it's still a little premature to say this, but we're talking about a film that cost $100 million and its current domestic box office is going to be at, what, 55 after, you know, two weeks from release. Look, I don't mean to be glum about this, but 2024 is probably going to be worse than 2023, and 2023 has been just worst-case scenario. So it's hard not to be saved by three movies, and there is yeah. no Barbenheimer on the schedule for 2024. There is nothing like Super Mario Brothers on the schedule for 2024. Taylor Swift, can you make another movie? That's our only hope. It's going to look bad. Yeah. And the, with the color purple, it started out, I, like I said, it led Christmas Day, 18.1 million. And then that looked like, hey, wow, this might this might do something. And then it just, it fell off. And that's really not supposed to happen. By the end, yeah, of the there, week, it was making 3 million a day. There were a lot of groups and churches that set up like special screenings of that on the opening day, which was Christmas Day. And so that inflated the day one total. And even then it wasn't as high as people had estimated. And since then, we've seen just like the natural conclusion of what should happen when you have something that inflated and that's a Christmas Day release as well. So, I mean, this is just basic box office trending in December. There's no surprises here. But just when you look at the total picture, the one saving grace I have is what you're saying, Tim. 2022, the surprise was Top Gun 2. Mm-hmm. 2021, we had No Way Home. There is something societal about the fact that we will eventually lock on to one or two projects in 2024 that are surprises. I'm not talking about the Deadpool 3 stuff that everybody expects to do well. There'll be one or two surprises that will suddenly explode, and we will be so grateful for them because when we talk about hits or misses in 2023, there's a lot more misses. I mean, like a staggering percentage more misses than hits. And 2024 is going to have a light lineup. Now, the plus of that is you can devote more of your marketing spend to a handful of films, which means you can probably promote them more and better than Hollywood has been doing recently. But 
I am an optimist by nature and you hear in my voice how pessimistic I am. Just even go back a couple months ago and tell people, hey, the Marvels, yeah, the big next Marvel movie coming out, ostensibly a sequel to Captain Marvel and follow-ups from the Miss Marvel Disney Plus show. Yeah, it's going to make less than $100 million. And you would have been laughed out of the room. Uh, this weekend, our first big release of 2024 is Night Swim, a Blumhouse production from Universal, $5.2 million on Friday. So it's the number one movie of 2024 to date, which is always my small sample size fun fact in January. <laughs> I, love, I always love saying, saying that with the first weekend of, of January releases. I mean, I'm sure this was probably about its budget, but it's not reviewed great. And it actually got like a C cinema score, which is just awful. But that's where we're at in 2024. Seems like it probably should have been a Halloween release, but the way Blumhouse pumps out these movies, if it had been a hit, they could probably have put out Night Swim 2 in time for Halloween. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move into the ratings. So unfortunately, uh, Nielsen appears to have taken the Christmas week off. So we are missing a week. So we are now looking at the ratings for Monday, December 4th through Sunday, December 10th, 2023. You suck, Nielsen. Yeah, it's like that week never existed. Oh, well, pretty much. We can make some guesstimates, but yeah, it's the show that was probably also on top last week is still on top this week. And that is Squid Game The Challenge. One billion minutes for its 10 episodes. We saw that the last time we actually discussed ratings. So not a surprise. And I expect them to make more of this as quickly as they possibly can. I wonder how many seasons of Squid Game The Challenge we get before we actually get Squid Game Season 2. <laughs> Uh, second is Obliterated, 917 million minutes for eight episodes. This is an action dramedy series. That this I, is The Hangover as a violent action <laughs> film. Yes. Oh, okay, yes. Action 100% sure we series. talked about it. And I'm like, I'm like, like what, what is this? Yes. Okay, yes. Now I remember. Yes. That explanation makes sense for why it's here. <laughs> I think we all agreed that the premise was fantastic. The reviews seemed to be quite terrible, and yet everybody watched it. I mean, that's pretty much The Hangover also, isn't it? <laughs> Well, at least the sequels anyway, but yeah. New this week in third, My Life with the Walter Boys, 673 million minutes viewed for 10 episodes. This is a teen drama adaptation that arrived on December 7th. I guess this is a popular book because this, that's what it's based on. Yeah, this this was when we talked about that it seemed like she was falling in love with her stepbrothers or something. <laughs> and we were like, oh, this is so bad. Oh, this is going to do so well. And here we are. Yeah, just a, a three-day number. So a chance we actually see it higher the following week. And uh, it actually already has gotten a second season renewal. So yeah, I look forward to be at the top show next week, probably. Here's the thing. It's probably much, much better than what it looks like because I'm sure a lot of people are watching it on their phones. Mm -hmm. If you think about it just analytically from a meta view, it is to all the boys I loved before with elements of Hallmark movies and Brazzers. And I'm just going to leave it at that, but that's what they're selling. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I kind of wish we had last week's ratings to see this, but returning to the Originals chart in fourth is Virgin River, 636 million minutes, 54 episodes. Two additional episodes, holiday themed, arrived on November 30th, completing its fifth season. And while I'm pretty sure I would say Squid Game topped it, but I imagine just the two episodes probably had it a strong second place last week. The Crown is in fifth, 401 million minutes, 57 episodes. We are another week's worth of ratings away from uh, the final half of this final season arriving on Netflix. So that should take a jump next week with the conclusion of that. So actually, maybe that'll be top next week, but I do still expect my life with the Walter Boys to also take a jump. In sixth, Bad Surgeon, Love Under the Knife. Uh, three episode docuseries, 360 million minutes. We all knew this would show up. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, actually, this is one of the two series telling 
seeing the same story about this surgeon. Uh, Peacock's got one that actually premiered a couple of weeks later, so we'll see how that one does. I bet we won't see it on the ratings. It's on Peacock. <laughs> okay. Oh, come on. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Right. Another docuseries takes seventh, World War II from the front lines, 331 million minutes, four, six episodes. This actually arrived December 7th, so this is just a three-day number. That's not bad. Maybe actually we'll see that one take a small jump next week as well with the full week. Whereas Bad Surgeon actually arrived on the 29th of November. So this is the full week number four. So it was probably higher last week. So I'm glad I didn't have to talk about it then too. Okay, we have something very fascinating here in eighth. School Spirits, 326 million minutes for eight episodes. Will you notice that this was probably the first show on the original chart that is credited to two different streaming services, in this case, Netflix and Paramount+. Plus. What is this show and what the hell is happening? Yeah, we talked about it when it first premiered on Paramount+. Plus. This is a kind of teen drama starring Peyton Liss, which we've most recently seen on Cobra Kai, but she actually grew up on the Disney Channel. And the thing is, yes, we talked about it in the spring because it premiered on Paramount Plus in the spring. It is a Paramount Plus production. Mm -hmm. It only came to Netflix at the end of November. Yes. So it is the first season of School Spirits on Paramount Plus and Netflix. But by Nielsen's standards, this shouldn't be on the originals charts because this is no longer a first run show. It got picked up by Netflix. So it is now an acquired show. But Nielsen obviously does what Nielsen wants. And so here it is on the original chart. <laughs> yeah, we have no idea the circumstances of this arrangement. Why is Paramount licensing a show that's like less than a year old to... Because they need money. We know exactly <laughs> well, why. Okay, yeah, right. We know that. And this actually has been renewed for a second season. This will have a second one on Paramount Plus and then presumably several months later on Netflix too. So this is just very, very weird that this is the case. But I've said this probably multiple times during the the years now we've been doing this podcast, we really are starting to see the consolidation of we went from just Netflix to everyone saying, hey, look at all the money Netflix is making. We need our own streaming services. And now they're all all the streaming services are like, we need money. We're going to license our shows to Netflix. So we really are the beginning stages of the just the condensing of going back to just Netflix and maybe one or two other services. And that's really what's happening here, I think. Tim, the other streaming services are the children asking daddy Netflix for more money because their allowance isn't big enough to cover all the things they want to buy. I'm not even joking. That's really what's happening in these scenarios. And yeah, it's true, yeah. we're probably overthinking everything with School Spirits. I think it's as simple as Nielsen might have forgotten School Spirits actually started on Paramount Plus because <laughs> who knew? Yeah, it's just that odd that it's here. This number actually, uh, actually it would be, uh, no, it would not be enough to make the, the acquired chart this week. So that's the only reason we're, we're seeing it. So maybe we'll never see it again, but it is a, just an absolute curiosity that we have a, just, it's a new show too. It's not like it's something that was a network series that was on, on Paramount Plus and now is showing up on Netflix. That would make sense. But no, here's a show that didn't exist a year ago, but now it's here. So just, yeah, it's absolutely fascinating that this is the case, but I'm curious what happens next. This is actually a full week number four. It showed up at the end of November, so we probably will not see it again, but I'm just glad it's here for that discussion that we just had. We wrap up originals with shows we've seen before. The Great British Baking Show, 9th, 293 million minutes, 95 episodes. And Disney Plus's The Santa Clauses, 279 million minutes, 12 episodes. Movies is actually crushing it this week because our top movie is Leave the World Behind, 1.9 billion minutes. 
This wow. is, yeah, this is that uh, Julia Roberts movie, right? Yes, Julia Roberts, Mahershala Ali, Ethan Hawke. It premiered at some festivals and had a small theatrical release. But yeah, this showed up on December 8th. So this is just a weekend number. So, wow. Okay, man, next week That's might be huge. even might be, bigger. Yeah. yeah, might be huge next week. We, we could see $2 billion next week, yeah. Wow, Julia Roberts bringing that star power. That's actually a really good point. It does seem like on streaming, star power matters more than it does in movie theaters oh, yes, these absolutely. days. Yep. And that's wild. And uh, I mean, we're going to have to fact check the last time a movie got two billion minutes, but it is super rare because, I mean, Tim, you're about to talk about it. The film that finished second, that wins, what, 40 weeks out of 52 each year? Oh, yeah, at least. Yeah. And it probably was the top movie last week because in second returning to the list is the super mario brothers movie 1.35 billion minutes essentially of course this was a universal release that after its amazing theatrical run showed up on peacock and we saw it on the ratings but now because it's that whole bizarre deal that uh universal has made with netflix it was there for four months and then for the next 10 months beginning on december 3rd it will be on netflix and then it will disappear and go back to peacock for four more months it's funny how Going back to Peacock is synonymous with disappearing. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, we won't see it here for its entire run on Netflix, but it is impressive that people clearly, if they didn't see it in theaters, then, oh, wow, finally, it's on streaming. Well, no, it's actually been on streaming for the last four months. You just, you know, you just don't have Peacock. They were advertising this before it even showed up, too. I definitely saw a commercial saying, here's things on Netflix that we have, and it lists the Super Mario Brothers movie, and this was still November, because I saw it on Thanksgiving, and I think there was some fine print saying, coming like December 4th or something like that. Absolutely. <laughs> I saw the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. Screw you, Peacock. We're going to take your movie and make it huge. All right. Uh, new in third, Candy Cane Lane, 803 million minutes from Prime Video. It's too late to warn you. It's past Christmas already, <laughs> but don't waste your time. <laughs> I I, knew, I noticed you had said you, you saw this. <laughs> so, yes, I was hoping you would chime in. This arrived on December 1st, so this is a full week. So it was probably here on last week's ratings. But yeah, it's Eddie Murphy in a Christmas holiday fantasy film. And I'm sure the quality is just what you would expect from something like this. It is interesting that as much as we've tracked the holidays, always having these holiday films sort of the top, no holiday film finished in the top two for the week. And that Mm -hmm. speaks to the fact that we had such extremely high quality releases at the top of the movie's chart for a change. Yes, frequently the evergreen holiday content floats the top, but there were two very strong new releases on this chart that pushed them down to the bottom half of the list with you know candy Lane doing the best in third because that one's new in fourth is another reason i'm sad we didn't get last week's ratings because i expected this to perform much stronger and it's family switch 632 million minutes in fourth this is the uh body swap comedy jennifer garner ed helms and guess even even a dog and a baby switch switch bodies this arrived on November 30th, so it is the full week, but I expected this to probably have a very strong week last week and then then fall off because it's not very good, of course. And fifth from Netflix, Leo, the movie we saw on top last time we discussed the ratings, 501 million minutes, so still holding on pretty well. But new in sixth, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, 498 million minutes from Disney+. Plus. This was released on Disney+, Plus on December 1st, so we... Might have been here last week, but this is the the full week of it on Disney Plus. So, oh no, that's not actually that good then. It's not. The other thing is, we're always talking about these titles that are being punished from the second screening. This is the opposite of that. This is probably inflated. Most of the people watching this actually were doing it the way that Nielsen would qualify. So, this is, if anything, higher than the actual performance should reflect. 
Yeah, and I don't expect to see this one again again next week. So, oof. Okay. Meanwhile, also from Disney Plus, in seventh Home Alone. We've seen that since the holidays began. Four hundred seventy-two million minutes. The Grinch from Peacock, four hundred forty-seven million minutes. Elf, Hulu, and Max, four hundred forty-three million minutes. And Home Alone Two, Lost in New York, because of course three hundred twenty-eight million minutes in tenth. So there's your holiday content taking up the bottom part of the movies chart this week after some some strong new releases. Acquired is ten shows we have seen before, led by the show that we expected if we had previously ratings young sheldon 1.6 billion minutes for its 131 episodes as people work their way through that series after all of it showed up on netflix after being there for years on max yeah and this is a short show so that many minutes is a lot Mm-hmm. similar to what happened with suits they're just probably working their way through the entire series and as they finish up it will wind down so this will probably happen faster with young sheldon than it did with suits because that show for some reason you know did not deserve to hit 3 billion minutes viewed every week, but it did. That's presumably what's happening here as well. And hey, uh, in ninth, welcome back Criminal Minds, the show we've been wondering where the hell it's been ever since it disappeared from Netflix. Now it's on Hulu and Paramount Plus. So here it is, 469 million minutes in ninth. Hmm. That's going to be interesting to watch over the next few weeks. Yep. It still doesn't answer the question, where the hell is the office? But yeah, it's good. At least this one's back on, on the chart, given that the power that you know Netflix holds over, generally holds over the acquired chart. But yeah, still mad we missed a week because I'm sure it was interesting, but I'm actually really looking forward to see what happens with Leave the World Behind next week, given that almost 2 billion was just the weekend number. And yeah, I guess I didn't realize that we're going to get the crown back next week. So that should probably take over the top spot unless I'm missing something obvious at this point, which is always likely given the month wait between us talking about things on what's new and them showing up on the ratings. All right. Thanks, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Max has canceled the series Warrior after three seasons and sold non-exclusive rights to Netflix. This series is based on an original treatment from Bruce Lee and is set during the 19th century Tong Wars in San Francisco's Chinatown. It took some time to pick up traction, but by season three, I feel people were really noticing it. It's possible that it gets noticed more now that it's going to be on Netflix and the streamer uh, may even pick it up for another season, but I guess we're going to have to wait and see. Mike White's The White Lotus has also announced its cast for season three. It includes Parker Posey, Michelle Monaghan, and Jason Isaacs. This season's going to be set in Thailand, but isn't expected to hit your screens until 2025. Apple TV Plus has renewed Slow Horses for a fifth season. I am delighted that this show has become such a sensation. I initially thought it was going to be a nothing show that would come and go. But as it turns out, it's become surprisingly popular with Gary Oldman leading a crew of misfit MI5 agents. Season three is airing now and Oldman's been out there doing press for the show. So he's clearly pleased with it. Gary Oldman's not the kind of guy that would (laughs) say he likes something when he doesn't like it. It's based on a series of novels and we've got at least two more seasons to look forward to. This is really exciting. Okay, fine, Apple. I'll watch it eventually. (laughs) (laughs) Disney Plus has indicated that they will not be going forward with a second season of American Born Chinese. Yeah, this feels like a loss. I mean, in the wake of everything, everywhere, all at once, Disney releases this series, which reunited several cast members from that, including, you know, Michelle Yeoh, who was as hot as you could possibly be at the time. And yet we watched the first three episodes of this, I want to say, Kim, and we have not been in a hurry 
hurry to go back. It just didn't seem to have that spark to it. And it's not like Disney didn't try. They, you know, they did the thing where they released it on Hulu as well. They tried a free episode on YouTube thing. They they made their attempts, but it also underscores, and this is something I was talking about with Raul before the podcast. When you turn on Netflix, Netflix has this power where it can persuade you to try whatever it wants. The other streaming services lack that. If Disney Plus could like, you know, market itself better and get people going, oh, what should I watch today? Disney Plus, they could have made this into a hit. And instead, it, it is going down as just a huge disappointment relative to what it could have been. Meanwhile, Netflix is very happy with their live action adaptation of the Japanese anime One Piece. So happy, in fact, that they've decided to make an anime adaptation of their live action adaptation of the anime. Um, One Piece is uh, notorious for being the anime that's got over a thousand episodes. That's uh, that's clearly too many episodes. So the uh, only right solution here is to throw it all out and start over. <laughs> Congrats, nerds. <laughs> Y'all are just glossing over this like she didn't just say these words. It's an anime adaptation of a live action adaptation of an anime. This is like <laughs> nesting dolls for streaming, and it gives me a headache <laughs> just thinking about it. Also, in news that will shock no one, Netflix is working on a spinoff of their hit show Wednesday, focusing on Fred Armisen's Uncle Fester. Yeah, anyone who watched Wednesday was sure to realize that the Uncle Fester appearance was framed as a backdoor pilot. He swept in, did some zany things, and then departed. I'm sure some folks will balk at Fred Armisen's involvement, but he was surprisingly capable as Uncle Fester. Personally, though, I'm more interested in a full Adams Family series sooner rather than later, especially given that they've cast Catherine Zeta-Jones as Morticia, so if they're ever managed to do a whole family, that's going to be great. There's also some speculation that Wednesday star Jenna Ortega hasn't made any friends among the show's casting crew and that she may not be around for more than another season. So it would be smart for Netflix to move fast and capitalize on the smashing success of this show with spinoffs sooner rather than later. Peacock and Mr. Robot creator Sam Esmail continue to threaten to reboot Battlestar Galactica. Uh, this was was first rumored when they launched Peacock, what, like four years ago? But it's taken some time to get off the ground. They finally signed on Derek Simmons as showrunner. Simmons' most significant credit is The Sinner on USA Network. Uh, okay, but I still wonder why we need this reboot when the last reboot of Battlestar Galactica was perfection. Ladies and gentlemen, I have time traveled from a future green lights and cancellations on streaming into the void to tell you what happens in 2026. After a single season, Peacock has canceled Battlestar Galactica, whose remake opened to mixed reviews that were inferior to the previous one, and everyone wondered why their time was wasted. Stop! <laughs> so what you're saying, David, is that uh, Peacock's still going to be around in 2026. I have been cursed by my own logic. You are correct. <laughs> Cable and streaming service Stars continues to cut costs since being spun off from Lionsgate. Both Minx and Shining Veil vale have been canceled by Stars. 
Minx had originally been picked up by Max, but in a big bloodletting, they canceled the series just as it was wrapping up production on its second season. I mentioned just last week how much of a fan I am of Jake Johnson and the laughably morally ambiguous characters he plays. So I'm glad this show did survive to show its second season on Stars, but with Stars barely able to stay afloat, I'm not surprised that they canceled it or the Courtney Cox series Shining Veil. Finally, on MGM+, Plus, the sci-fi thriller Beacon 23 has been renewed for a second season. This may be a case of a good show not getting the respect it deserves because of the streamer it's on. I think Amazon needs to get its streaming house in order. MGM+, Plus has a number of original series, but no one's watching. Move them over to Prime Video, and hopefully these well-regarded shows will reap the benefits of viewership. As always, we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy over the past week, and And as mentioned earlier in the podcast, we did watch Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes on our shiny new projector on the wall last week. About the first couple thirds of the movie is good. And then like many things that Suzanne Collins is involved in writing, it goes off the rails for the third act to the point that you really don't enjoy it so much. I will say Rachel Zegler is fantastic in this film. She's a terrific singer and she showcases that singing in the film and she has a real presence about her, a sauciness that this character requires. But this is a movie that's intended to try to make you, I don't know, sympathetic to President Snow. I don't know if that's the point, but you won't be and you shouldn't be. So watch it if you like The Hunger Games. I think it's an interesting experiment that mostly fails. Yeah, it was a lovely experience. We had a lot of fun watching it, playing around with the projector TV. We're old school film fans. So, I mean, the new technology we were marking out a little bit, but just in terms of the film itself, they intentionally went with a grittier, this is an early Hunger game, so it hasn't developed the bells and whistles yet vibe. And it just didn't work because they're basically in one room for half the film. And then the other surprise is the Hunger Games itself isn't all of the film. What I realized... And watching it was I got really bored with the book and I kind of found myself thinking that after Catching Fire, this author lost me completely with a lot of decisions. And, you know, it's one of those things where when you're creating something, you accept that people are going to draw their own conclusions about the choices you make. I'm just not with her on almost anything that has been chosen. Honestly, other than Rachel Zegler and Kim is right. She's a superstar, an absolute superstar. Jason Schwartz is far and away the best part of the film as a young version of a character you will definitely recognize. And he deserved a different project because he had the tone, the vibe, all of it. And the rest of this film is just so stupid. And it's just frustrating. There was one point in the film, and anybody who's seen it will know exactly where I mean where I went, Oh, the hanging tree, as if that weren't the obvious place they were going with it the entire time. It was an insult to my intelligence. And that just felt like a lot of this story. And the strange thing is, I still think I liked it just because the lead is so watchable. And Jason Schwartzman, this might be his best performance ever, legitimately. That is high praise for someone who's appeared in a number of Wes Anderson movies. And Scott Pilgrim. Yes, <laughs> He is really great in the film. He doesn't actually play a young version of the person. He plays that person's father or ancestor or whatever. I, I didn't even realize that. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and what's been keeping you busy, Raul? 
I'm going to mention a couple of the art house movies I watched over the holidays, and that's going to be Saltburn and The Holdovers. After Barbie at number one, these are my number two and three, actually not in that order, my number three and two movies of the year. I enjoyed The Holdovers better than I did Saltburn. I feel both of them were fantastic, as they would have to be to be at the top of my list. There's some concerns about Saltburn, given that I've heard some people liken it to, um, I really can't tell you what movie it's been compared to without really spoiling Saltburn, but Emerald Fennell has done some pretty impressive work over the last few years with their career with Promising Young Woman and now this one. So I think that Saltburn is a very apt follow-up to Promising Young Woman. Barry Keegan is just a standout actor that I think needs to break through as a superstar. It is not the movie I expected it to be from the trailers and from everything I had read and seen. The supporting cast, including uh, Richard E. Grant, is really solid. But again, I, I really can't tell you about the plot of the movie without spoiling it. But I do have to tell you that The Holdovers, as my number two movie of the year, is just such a rewarding movie. I enjoyed it so much. It stars Paul Giamatti as a very irascible, grumpy professor in uh, the early 1970s at a private school where he has to watch some of the children who stay at the school during the Christmas holidays, the holdovers. There is considerable drama, but there's also so much humor and such a heartwarming element to it. My kids had actually seen this movie in theaters with their mom, and when I started playing it on stream it's on Peacock. I asked them if they'd rather I play something else and they were like, no, no, let's watch this again. They enjoyed it that much that uh, my kids were willing to watch it again. This is an R-rated movie, but really there isn't that much in the sense of really language or sex or violence. Really, there, there's none of that in this movie. It, I'm not entirely sure why it is R-rated, but it is such a feel-good movie at the end. I strongly recommend The Holdovers. I hope it gets a lot of awards attention this awards season. I think I've mentioned before, is it Divine Joy Randolph? She is supposedly an absolute lock for, if not a nomination, but a win mm -hmm. for supporting actress. Yeah, no, she is great in her supporting role in this movie. She brings this humanity to the role. It's just fantastic. And from everything I've heard about Saltburn, it just seems like a very extremely polarizing movie. You will either really enjoy it or really hate it. Yeah, that seems to be what I'm seeing as well. Tim, what's been keeping you busy? Uh, so my big purchase during the Steam sale was a game called Octopath Traveler. It is a Square Enix. Good choice. Uh, yes, role-playing game. It is basically a throwback to the old 2D, like Super NES type of games. With, you know, the characters are all in pixels, but they've up the background of the world and it just looks absolutely fascinating. You know, just it is absolutely beautiful. And the, the combat system is really enjoyable too. You see the weakness of the, the enemies and you can you know mix and match the attacks so that you can deal more damage and then you know plot your battle strategy around it it is very clever it is very fun the characters are all their individual jobs and, and roles some which overlap to a degree but they are all pretty fun you know you have the healing classes you have the mage type classes and the warriors but then each character has its own individual ability you can use on NPCs say in each town to either solve or launch a side quest or to steal items or get more information about a, a mission 
it's, it's really, really fun. I'm really enjoying it so far about even like maybe 15, 20 hours in. And there is a sequel that I'm looking forward to as well once I finish, finish this one, because I think I'm definitely sold on this game. Yeah, as a matter of fact, IGN listed the sequel among its games of the year. And one of the comments they made was Octopath Traveler was nearly perfect. And they cannot believe how somehow Octopath Traveler 2 is that much better. I've heard that a lot. Yes. So I'm really, really excited. I'm glad you said this. This is going to be a conversation I have with Kim tonight of whether she wanted me to get that for her because the reviews of it are so glowing. And I know how much she loved Octopath Traveler. Mm-hmm. I did. So, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was actually initially Switch exclusive, but it now is yep. on Windows and PC. So I currently have this one for the Steam Deck. But wherever I see the second one on sale, whether it's on the Switch or on Steam, I think I'm going to grab it on that. Also have to mention last weekend's AEW pay-per-view World's End. It's an AEW pay-per-view with no Kenny Omega, no Young Bucks, no Orange Cassidy. Uh, and what happens no, is... No Hangman Page. No Hangman Page, yes. What happens is you have a pay-per-view that is for some reason saved by the wrestler formerly known as Edge and John mm-hmm. Moxley again. again. The last three matches were great and mm-hmm. the rest of it was kind of like, oh, okay. Yep. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really like, you know, they were tag team matches with guys I like, but... It was for nothing. It was saved by the Christian Cage and Adam Copeland, Eddie Kingston and John Moxley matches, and then, of course, Samoa Joe and MJF, where we yep. got the expected reveal of the storyline taking over the last six months of, you know, the identity of the devil, which, of course, yep. was Adam Cole. But it was probably one of their flattest events, but just saved by the end. I would agree. It's probably the least I've enjoyed one of their pay-per-views. You're right that it got better as the event went on. Mm-hmm. But, oh, gosh, it was sorely missing the members of the elite. Yes, Wow, I expected an argument from David. <laughs> I think he's probably in agreement as well. Okay. Well, it's one of those things where I've just accepted the fact the internet is going to be weirdly harsh about AEW. Mm-hmm. It's just the most bizarre thing. The pay-per-view was excellent, and I'm not going out on a limb to say that because we've just gotten so jaded as wrestling fans where you're like, oh, there were only three absolutely unforgettable matches. What? What are we even saying? It used to be if you were watching a WWE pay-per-view and you got one good match, you were happy because they all sucked. And now we've kind of we've done this retro thing where everybody is like so reverent about pay-per-views that I watched the internet just rage about at the time as just like, I don't know why I'm even paying for this. So I'm just, I'm zen about the whole thing. But what they did with Christian Cage and Adam Copeland was a 10 out of 10. It was. And the other other thing, Julia Hart is developing into a superstar in front of people's eyes. And she's so good at such a young age that people don't even realize and they've taken it for granted. I try to be zen when I hear people being hypercritical of what is an excellent product. I know that at the end of the night, we were very, very happy. And that's all that matters to me. A lot of it is in the era of the WWE network and it's $10 a month for their pay-per-views now you know here's AEW charging 50 and you had you do have to expect more and I would argue that yes they have always delivered on every pay-per-view but now when you go from four a year to what did we have this year seven and you're charging 50 bucks for them there is people who are going to expect everything to be perfect and while like I said not a bad show this is probably the weakest one that they'd ever had because they were missing some key names due to either you know injuries or other reasons and that's fair 
Yeah. yeah. So I think that's yeah. I think that's a lot a lot of where it comes from. No, that's completely yep. fair. But we also know that you know sales were exceptional for this pay per view, which means there's still desire for the product. I mean, heavy demand. And then you know, like the matches people are arguing about Miro versus Andrade. Kim, we thought that was great, didn't we? Oh, I did enjoy the Miro versus Andrade match. Yes. And then they had the thing happen where Keith Lee just wasn't medically cleared, so they had to replace him with Dustin Rhodes. I mean, they booked that perfectly. We were saying it the whole time, weren't we, Kim? Yes, I thought Dustin was really good there. I can understand why people would be disappointed, but Dustin did a really great job filling in. And I think the story that they told there was it contributed itself to where they're going with Swerve. Exactly. And then the other thing was that was one of the two most disliked matches on the card, which is baffling to me because Swerve put on a star performance. He is willing to be evil. And that is one of the most underrated traits among heels now. Everybody wants to be the cool heel. He wants to be Killmonger. He wants to terrify people, and I'm here for it. There was one disaster match, and I think that's why everything's getting out of proportion, because people were mad at Chris Jericho at the time, and then it turns out the reason why they were mad for him was actually someone who calls himself a journalist being wildly unprofessional and then realizing after the fact that what they said met the legal definition of slander, so they had to apologize. And that's just the type of thing. I shut out this noise, but what I know is Eddie Kingston winning that was so wholesome for us, and Samoa Joe because coming world champion in a major company is something I've been waiting for for 20 years now. WWE spit the bit there. They had him. He was better than Brock Lesnar. He was viable as an opponent of Brock Lesnar, and he shut Brock Lesnar's mouth once on live television in a promo. It was chilling, and all they did was they banished him, and now we've had a guy fired twice by WWE because they're that ignorant, and he is the world champion in AEW. I love the pay-per-view. I don't get what people's problem is. So there's your your counterpoint. There we go. Thank that's what I was wondering. All right. Okay. And Will Ospreay is coming. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 